I feel like I'm in uh, Groundhog Day. <laughs> but that's that's all right. You know what? I, I, I could have worse co-hosts. That's for sure. I don't know if that's much of a compliment the way I said it, but, <laughs> but, it, but it's meant to be. Back to the bin. Hello. What's happening, buddy? Not too much, man. Been a while. Yeah, long time no talk. How's everything going? Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. Good to hear. Have you ever met Gene? Uh, I don't think I've had the pleasure, but I'm not no, sure. No, this is the first time, I believe. Uh, nice to meet you, Ian. Nice to meet you, too, Gene. How do you two know each other? Uh, through, through this. Yeah, it's really through this. And then, uh, well, you, you managed to, to get in with us last year when we did our big freak weekend get-together. Uh, ah. The year before that, Gene had done it as well. Oh, cool. So, so we, we have had the face-to-face meetups. Uh, nice. But yeah, you know, Gene Gene does the occasional show. Nothing steady anymore. Now he's just been America's guest for a little while. Because uh, because he's <laughs> I, I'm get, I'm getting into that too. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I don't I can't blame you because you know the the, the 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 hassle is planning it and editing it. Recording yes. it is never the yes. issue. Yeah, I I have uh, I have an episode that I've been wanting to put out with all my C two E two interviews uh, that I haven't put out yet because uh, my computer ate the files the last time around. So I got to re-edit everything before it comes out. So now my episode one eighty seven is coming out after my episode one eighty eight. <laughs> it happened. You can't just renumber. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I could, but uh, I had already given Brent the file, and Brent's idea of editing is chopping the beginning and chopping the end off and putting it online. So, well, uh, you know what? There's, <laughs> there's something to be said for that too, though, because yeah. you know, Bill, Bill, and I have different ways of editing. Yeah. And my way is, I go through it. I try to make sure I bleep out any curses. I try to cut out anything where anybody might say something that's going to be misconstrued by anyone right. uh but you know and, and i try to see if i can clean up a little bit when we step on each other sure that's about it i don't really do a heck of a lot more and i get it out and you know i mean i'm doing you know i guess i'm doing really two shows a week so i can't you know i can't spend more time than that or i'll never get the stuff edited and out Right. Yeah, no, I barely do one a month, and uh, the past couple of months has been a little spotty, but uh, Brent's been filling in with his BK's Bullets uh, video game shows, so that's been working out uh, for me. So we, I think we still technically had at least one episode out on the feed a month. It's just, I'd, li- I'd like for comic timing to be a little bit more timely, so we'll, we'll see. Well, the timely thing, I lose a little bit. The more I get my way, the more I lose the timeliness, because my way is to have a lot of episodes backed up, Mm, so right. that if I have trouble yeah. recording, I have plenty of backup and I don't have to worry about getting out an episode on time. But the flip side to that is a lot of the conversation that might be intended to be timely is old Sure. by the time it posts. But The episode that we wound up posting is all pre-San Diego Comic-Con stuff, so now I first got to record with him probably sometime next week. So, you know, we talk about all that stuff, plus, like, all the movies we've seen over the, like, summer portion that we haven't actually gotten around to talking to on the show yet. So, that'll be a fun one. Well, I find, I think, 
it's probably true for your show too is i find that more of the at least the loyal listeners mm-hmm. are listening because they've gotten used to listening they kind of feel oh. like they know you and it's almost like having a friend over yeah ab- absolutely yeah it's I mean, not the same way I, yeah same way i feel about what listening to cgs you know it's the same it, sort of yeah, thing yeah exactly I don't, care, I don't care what they're talking about as long as they're talking it's it's not the uh oh my god they're talking about this i have to listen to it yeah, exactly yeah yep Although, uh, I, I will mention that this is the first time we've ever recorded when I'm using a mixer, so uh, you get to hear uh, my, my mic get a little bit uh, stronger and better, hopefully. You do sound pretty clear. Hmm. Good so to hear. I, I, didn't know if, I didn't realize it was a different setup, but you definitely sound nice and clear. I bought, I bought my setup off of... You've, you've met Adrian, right? Adrian Hunter? Was, was she with you at, at New York Comic Con last year? No, uh, he actually. Oh, he, okay. <laughs> He did. He did a podcast. Uh, I think he was like, what was it, like the Angry Comic Book Fan or something like that. Like he, he was. It was a, a, a grumpy comic books or something like that. I forget the name of it, but uh, he used to stop by my table like once a year at New York Comic Con, and uh, we got to know each other that way. Um, kind of like that, the way you and I got to know each other. Exactly. Yep. Uh, basically the same sort of thing. But he he stopped podcasting, and I actually bought his mixer off of him uh, for like dirt cheap. And uh, he gave me threw in a couple mics also, and that's what I've been using as my uh, my main setup ever since. And shows never sounded better. Yeah, cool. that definitely sounds like I said, sounds nice and clear. I, uh, I yeah, I'm still lamenting the up. I guess you know, and I would put the finger quotes for the upgrade to Windows 10 because <laughs> the, the upgrade uh, spelled the downfall for my uh, Snowball microphone. Oh no, really? It was, as soon as it as soon as it upgraded, I started getting all interference and scratchy on the microphone and then when i started doing some research into it it said the upgrade to windows 10 it's not compatible with the microphone so ah, then i started using oops. this uh what is it a samson microphone which mm-hmm. seems to pick me up fine but the problem is it doesn't have the same ability to just pick up what's in front of it right so with this with the snowball i could have your voices coming out of the speakers mm-hmm because it would that would that's behind it and it wouldn't pick them up. Right. With the Samson, if I don't wear headphones, it picks up and then it echoes. Yeah. So that sucks. But I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you what, man. Sometimes old technology is is better technology. Because like I mean, I'm using I'm using an analog mic plugged into an analog mixer with uh, a an audio uh, you know an audio cable going into my my headphone jack so I can hear you guys. Uh, and uh, you know, an audio cable going into my mic jack from the uh, from the mixer, and it's just it's pretty much the most simplest I've ever had it for mm-hmm. record ever since that. And, and I mean, it's only like an investment of like like eighty ninety bucks if you want to get oh, a cheap ass mixer. Like it's that's yeah, that's not bad at all. Yeah, so, like I mean, get yourself like a, a good like four or five channel mixer and uh, and a decent like Shure microphone, and you're right as rain. Hmm. Yeah, but the the thing. I mean, first of all, I don't like wearing headphones just because they get uncomfortable during sure. during a long show. Right. But the other big plus to having the not you know not having to have the headphones is if I had to get up for a second to do something, mm-hmm. I could mute my my microphone. Uh, you know, put yeah. in the uh, in the chat box that I'll be right back. Right. And meanwhile, when I walk away, I could still hear what you guys are saying, so that I'm not sure. missing. You know, like when I join in again, it's not like I missed out and it's like, what were you guys talking about? I didn't hear. Yeah, that's my disadvantage uh, with my setup is is exactly that. Like when I go into the other room, I'm in the other room. Yeah. So well, what do you can you do? Life goes on. Exactly. 
Right, we might as well get rolling because it's 9.30 and I'm old and cranky. <laughs> <laughs> so I managed to read all, all of both of your guys' books because uh, I have access to Brent's uh, uh Comicsology. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, yeah, yours. Uh, yours was Damage Control, so I got yours off of uh, the Marvel app. Marvel app, Marvel Unlimited, and uh, and and yours, Gene. I totally didn't look up on an illegal uh, comics website that has scans of Comicsology on it. So that totally. <laughs> oh, that's that's good. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm I'm caught up on that. And uh, did did either did either of you get to download uh, Girls or yeah. am I? Uh... Yeah, I I went to Comicsology, spent the ninety nine cents, and and read it that way. And right, I didn't. Awesome. I didn't spend the ninety nine cents. I just looked up images from it and the story, and kind of read up on the story, and looked gotcha. at the images, and kind of went with that. So I'm right, kind cool. of well versed about it enough that if you guys take the lead in the conversation, I will be able to chime in. I'll do. Okay. All right. So I might as well take it from there. <clears throat> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and Scott and Bill are still on assignment, and so. In the effort to go on without them, because they are trying to drag me down, but I'm not letting them. Uh, I've brought along once again for the second consecutive week, week, Mr. Gene Hendricks. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back, Gene. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> this keeps up. Scott and Bill may be out. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Last week we had uh, Jim Dietz join us, and this week we have another friend, and a friend of Jim Dietz for that matter, Mr. Ian Levenstein. Yes, Paul, I'm here live on the scene in Brooklyn, New York, where it is a madhouse. An abso- oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm not actually on the scene, uh, I, but I am in Brooklyn. So, And it is a madhouse. A, a madhouse. In, in the best of ways. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good to be back, uh, Paul. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. And, uh, yeah, we haven't had a chance to talk for a while, so it's good to, to get together and talk some old comics. Just as, as an aside, uh, I assume you're going to be at New York Comic Con again this year? I will indeed. I've, I've got my uh, my badges for all four days, so I will be there Thursday through Sunday, just uh, roaming the floors, doing my usual. All right, well, I will be there as usual on Thursday and Friday. Cool. And uh, I'm sure you and I will manage to meet up again during the course of that time. In fact, this may be, a, 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 it's not definite yet, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know if I should be throwing this out, but it is possible right now. I have been asked if I would be interested in being on a panel. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. That, would, that would be a first for me. Uh, Dave Pascarella is involved with a group of people who are doing a panel on Star Wars and the law. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. And they asked if I would be interested in being on it with them, and I said, I am as long as you were willing to give me some sort of a uh, an outline of what we're going to talk about so that I'm not just kind of going by the seat of my pants. <laughs> and and uh, well, the two things. It was that, and it has to be on Friday. <laughs> so so they said they submitted their uh, their proposal to do it, and they don't have any control over when it gets scheduled, assuming it gets uh, accepted. But that they did put in there that their preference is Friday. So should it get accepted, and should it be on a Friday, I will be doing my first ever Comic Con panel. Well, I will definitely try to attend, man. That's that's great. Uh, I might as well uh, plug myself since you mentioned panels, uh, and this will probably come out in, uh, in enough time for this to happen. But I'm going to be at uh, Otakon uh, the weekend of uh, August 11th through the 13th. And uh, I'm going I'm to tell you now, it's cool that you're going to be there, and you can keep plugging it, but this is not getting posted till afterwards. <laughs> so you can you can uh, testify it as in, you know, or you can uh, talk about it as if it's in the past. 
<laughs> I, I will I will adjust my statement then. Uh, I I ran a uh, American Comics for Manga fans panel on uh, on the Saturday of Otakon. Uh, first year it's in DC. Uh, it's the big anime convention uh, of the East Coast, and uh, they're they're moving on from Baltimore to Washington DC and. Uh, ran that panel for the second year in a row at Otakon on uh, Saturday afternoon. So that's now, pretty cool. You've done panels before, you? Oh yeah, no, I, I've done I've done panels. I, I did one panel at New York Comic Con uh, the one year they had a podcasting panel, and uh, I was a part of that. And I usually run uh, about three panels at Anime Next, which is uh, New Jersey's biggest uh, anime convention. Uh, this. Uh, it was their second year in Atlantic City. Uh, it just happened to call about uh, about two months back now, mm-hmm. and, and I ran uh, American Comics for Manga Fans, uh, American Animation, and uh, the Adult Swim Revolution, where we go through the history of Adult Swim from uh, when it started to where it is now, and you know play some of our favorite clips. So you're like an old pro at this panel stuff. For me, this is totally new. This is uncharted territory. <laughs> Honestly, if you podcast. Being a being in a panel is like not oh, pretty natural. I mean, you're you're used to talking, you're used to carrying a conversation. It, it's they they go hand in hand. Yeah, I guess the only the only difference is that it's pan, it's podcasting in front of a live audience. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, that, well, just just imagine everybody in their Batman underwear, and you're fine. <laughs> no, I, actually, I mean, in my job, I do speak in front of people frequently, so that that doesn't really uh, frighten me too much. Hmm. Very it's, cool. Yeah, it's it's just I I don't know it's it's a just one more thing to make me kind of feel like a kid again, <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the things I love about this whole hobby. Hell yeah! Yeah, this this will be posted somewhere in between your uh, August eleventh appearance and the New York Comic Con. I can right. well, tell you exactly when. <laughs> that's 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 fine by me, but uh, but yeah, I, I have no set plans for New York Comic Con, so I'm definitely going to try and uh, work on your panel if it's happening. Yeah, well, you know what? If assuming it's happening, I will be posting on the uh, the, the Two True Freaks Facebook page about it. See if we Thanks. can get get some friendly faces in the audience. <laughs> yeah, well, we won't heckle you too bad. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I can't say I totally trust you there. <laughs> <laughs> Free bird. <laughs> but we 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 shall see. Yeah. All right. In the meantime, or I guess uh, having gone through that, we might as well start taking a look at some comics. Sure. And I, and we have three. I got to say, we have three pretty eclectic books this time. You could say that, yes. And uh, you are you are the the most eclectic of all eclectics, uh, Ian. <laughs> yes. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we'll, we, we will get to that shortly. We're going to start our normal routine is Marvel DC Indie, and we'll, we'll kind of stick with that format, which lets me go first. And uh, like my friend Dr. Bill, I have a book, and I did not prepare a uh, synopsis for it. So we're, we're going off the cuff here. Hmm. We also go sequentially, don't we? Because uh, 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 Yeah, I think date-wise, mine is shortly before Jean's, and then yours is a couple of years after that. So. Yep. Yeah, I think we are going with with uh, release order as well. So I picked Damage Control Volume Two, Number One from 1989, and the reason that I picked this, I'll just come around and say, is because Damage Control was in the new Spider-Man movie, and it kind of piqued my interest in taking a look at them again because I had not seen anything with Damage Control in a number of years. 
So I pull, pulled this one out and started looking at it. It's written by Dwayne McDuffie, who is the creator of Damage Control, penciled by Ernie Cologne, who is the co-creator of Damage Control, colored by John Wellington, lettered by Richard Rick Parker, and the cover is also by Ernie Cologne, and it shows Captain America standing in front of a jail cell uh, with laser beam bars, and three members of Damage Control are in the cell along with the wrecking crew. And it's kind of a, you know, a tongue-in-cheek cover the way it's drawn because it almost looks like it could be like in a Mad Magazine type uh, atmosphere. <laughs> and it says on it, when superheroes need help, they call damage control. But who does damage control call? And they, there's the three guys in the cell and one of them's down on his hands and knees in a praying position and saying, help. <laughs> so... The story opens up at the George Washington Bridge where there's obviously been some type... Oh, just uh, might as well throw in also, this is a crossover to Acts of Vengeance. So I assume the moments in here where the real comic book moments are occurring do line up with things that went on in Acts of Vengeance. Because it opens up with Thor kind of holding the George Washington Bridge from collapsing while cars are coming off of it following combat with somebody. I couldn't even tell you who... Damage control is already in place while he's doing that, and they're trying to figure out how to keep the bridge from collapsing, uh, you know, before Thor collapses and can't hold it anymore. And from there, we cut to the offices of damage control where, uh, I gotta get these people's names down, Anne is the secretary, I guess, and we have Bart, who's the long red-haired dude who apparently is going to be leaving and she gives him a kiss, and for the rest of the issue, she he's just thinking about that. We cut Any to... Any idea if he was a character in the first uh, series? I believe he was, okay. but I couldn't tell you that with absolute certainty. Gotcha. Uh, Mrs. Hogue, who's the person who runs Damage Control, gets a call from the president, uh, and at some point she calls Anne, who... Uh, not Anne, excuse me, I can't... What the other girl's name is? I'm sorry that I don't have. See, this is Robin. why I write down synopsises. Her, the other girl's name is Robin. Yeah, she calls Robin in to speak to her, which is kind of a comical moment because Robin is thinking she's going to be fired, and through the whole conversation, she's kind of mulling over what she's going to do. Will she get severance pay? If she does get severance pay, she can take a couple of weeks off before she has to start looking for a new job. And while she's thinking all these thoughts, Mrs. Hogue is telling her she's been uh, assigned to some sort of presidential committee on superhero actions, and in her absence, she wants Robin to run the company. And None of that is actually seeping through to her. At, at the same time that this is going on, there's a uh, jailbreak over at the vault in San, San Diego, is it? Uh, no, Colorado. Colorado, excuse me. And uh, they're, they're being called. And that, that's one part that kind of doesn't sit right. Why would they call damage control before the actual breakout is quelled? I don't know. Well, but, if, you, if you look at the warden's phone, He's reaching up, not looking at it, to call the Avengers. Well, the Avengers are the top speed dial. Damage oh, control is go. the next one. Yeah, so he okay. accidentally hit damage control. Uh, yeah, the third is National Guard, and the fourth is Fantastic Four. Yeah. The, the days before cell phones, where, you, where the only way to speed dial somebody was to use the speed dial on your phone. Yeah, there's a whole episode of Seinfeld about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So while, while all of that is going on, Thor completes his 
holding up the bridge until they put some uh, temporarily temporary shoring up to hold it up and Thor is being modest about it and one of the dudes from damage control offers him some Ben Gay which at first he refuses but then eventually he takes before he leaves and Thor the way I'm gonna kinda just comment on it as we go along he's drawn in my opinion here to try to, to kinda ape some Walt Simonson look yeah I would say so this is it's not full-on Walt Simonson it's, I would say it's about halfway between Simonson and Buscema I'm, I'm gonna go three-quarters Simonson one quarter Buscema. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna raise you and charge <laughs> one so uh, we, we so we cut from there the the damage control guys are, are all getting to where the bridge is and they're getting ready to go over to Colorado but I do like to they're like as they're talking Bart is just fantasizing about that girl kissing him hmm. And then we cut to the vault where the wrecking crew has found the crowbar kept apparently just in a locker in the uh, storage room, which is really not the safest place to keep it. By getting that, they're going to restore their powers. And that's when we cut to the scene where Robin is named the new head of the uh, of damage control. Cut back to the uh, vault where the damage control guys are getting in, and they're met up with by the Rattler. And it's kind of interesting here because the art style kind of changes again and it's drawn semi-seriously here where they're confronted with him. But then he just moves on because they give him some bad information. And we cut again to Mrs. Hogue meeting with the owners of Damage Control who are the Kingpin and Tony Stark. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of an interesting concept but they're both entrepreneurs so you could see how that could happen. And since Mrs. Hogue is going to be working with the government and not running it anymore, the two of them have decided to uh, sell off damage control. Tony Stark partially because he doesn't like working with the Kingpin and doesn't trust him, and the Kingpin because he thinks it's, the business is going to fail. Uh, but I think there's also a little element of he's trying to double deal and maybe buy it back at a cheaper rate later. So we cut to our damage control people back at the vault and they are running from the Rattler and they run directly into the wrecking crew. Now it turns out that one, the main guy, the, the, uh, I guess the manager of the wrecking crew, uh, excuse me, of, the, of damage control, knows Thunderball. And they kind of keep a little bit of a low, you know, keep that a little bit low key, but Thunderball is kind of helping them to get by without getting killed by the Wrecking Crew and says, oh yeah, yeah, they're super villains too. Uh, and then they fake somehow proving that they have superpowers by turning off the lights and having Thunderball bop them on the head and make it look like the Wrecking Crew guys are doing it. In the meanwhile, Captain America is heading towards the, uh, the prison to help quash the, uh, the breakout. And there's a press conference to name Robin as the new head of damage control, at which point they say that Carlton Co., and I'm not sure if that's supposed to be clever, Carlton Co. in any way, I don't know if that's a reference to anything, but they have bought damage control from Tony Stark and the Kingpin. Cut back to the, uh, the vault where they're, they're pl playing that ploy where Thunderbolt keeps hitting him on the head. They decide to exit the prison together at which point they're confronted by Captain America. Uh, and again, the artwork kind of changes in style here. During the battle, it looks a little Gilcanish to me. 
and we go through a battle with Captain America fighting off on uh, fighting the uh, wrecking crew, and eventually gets bopped in the back of the head by uh, Thunderball's wrecking ball, which I would think would just fracture, but basically any skull it would ever hit. But he's knocked unconscious, as are Bulldozer and Piledriver. So Thunderball and the Wrecker, along with the damage control guys, look to escape before people come along. And I guess, actually, I'm sorry, I have to fix that. Thunderball and the Wrecker escape, leaving Bulldozer and, and Piledriver. The damage control guys get into a helicopter where they see that the damage control building, which looks to be one of the t- like one of the tallest buildings in Manhattan, now says Carlton Co. on the front. And then it says, Acts of Vengeance continues next issue in Cruel and Unusual Punisher. So, again, I had not looked at any damage control stuff for many years, and I don't even remember reading this. I'm sure I did, but I don't remember it at all. Uh, it has the feel to me of being a real-time tag-and-bink kind of thing Mm. where the stuff is going on in the Marvel Universe and you have these people who are just kind of comic relief running through it and they're not really influencing anything that's going on to the point of making the real stories have any kind of issue, you know, as far as being grounded in some somewhat in reality and not comedy. Uh, But they give you that comedy element just in their own series from their perspective. And I got to tell you, I, I got a kick out of reading this. I thought it was kind of funny, and I got to pick up issue two and, and check that out now because I, I got a kick out of this, and I'm curious, as usual, as to what you guys would have thought of it. Gene, you want to go first? All right. Yeah, it's it's definitely amusing. Uh, I never read anything for with damage control in it. I knew that they were part of the Marvel Universe, but I, I had never read any of their, their issues or anything. Uh the art style going back and forth is kind of kind of interesting. I guess it they're trying to play to whatever the scene is as far as uh, how stuff is drawn. You know, if it's we're trying to shock you with the Rattler, well, we're going to make him look real deadly and serious, and the next, the Kingpin is drawn like a cartoon character. So, yeah, it's, it's a little... It's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give it that. It's just... Some of the stuff in it, I don't know if they realize their own internal logic here. Like, if you look on page four, the uh, the headquarters damage control is supposed to be in the Flatiron building. Well, oh, as yeah. Most, as most people know, the Flatiron building isn't square. <laughs> right. And and then at in the very last page, they said, oh, yeah, well, the new owners have done a little work on the building. Well... Now it doesn't look anything like the Flatiron Building, so I would call that more than a little work. Yeah, that would be an awful lot of work. You're you're absolutely correct about that. Heck, they even moved it to another part of Manhattan. That's interesting. You know what? I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that's a bit of a, of inconsistency there that that I have a problem with, uh, especially considering that the design of the building reminds me a lot of the Baxter Building. So I feel like they're just like almost like copying themselves. Yeah, you would think. You know, Ernie Cologne drew the book and inked it. So you would think he would know his own, you know, what he did, whatever, 25 pages ago. Right. So they, you know, that doesn't make sense that he would do that. And I, I can honestly say I didn't really notice the building 
on page four. I, I went right to to the dialogue inside, which almost looks like it's out of like an Archie comic. <laughs> so the I mean the art definitely changes tone drastically from page to page in this book, but I think that's all with a purpose. I don't think that's I don't think that's unintentional inconsistency. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's to play up whatever mood they're trying to set on that page. To some extent, it adds to the humor. I was just going to say that the uh, the artwork, for the most part, reminds me a little bit of Ron Friends, uh, just because just in that chameleon aspect. Like, Ron Friends has done enough work over the years where he can sort of, you know, adapt his his artwork to, to fit any sort of mood that he's that he's working with. Like, he's that... You know, fill-in guy that you call in for the bullpen to, to step in when you need him to, mm-hmm. while at the same time still having a very classic feel to it. And I feel like that's what Cologne is working off of here, is trying to feel like classic heroics, while at the same time trying to cap- capture that that comedic tone that's being broadcasted here in, in Damage Control. And uh, I mean, for the most part, it works. But yeah, some of the faces in particular, I had problems with Kingpin in particular. I've never seen him drawn like that before. Like that, that just felt completely off character model. Uh, Tony Stark worked. I, I, I liked. I liked the fact that uh, that uh, that you know that, that we had what we had with uh, the, with Thor and uh, and uh, and Iron Man and, and Captain America. You know, different art styles and stuff, but it doesn't quite mesh together in the end. I wish things were a little bit more consistent. That's all. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you that that it doesn't mesh together as far as creating a single vision or or a story that kind of flows that way. But I, like I said, I think it's intentional inconsistency, and I don't think you're supposed to ever kind of get comfortable with it. Uh, I, I think the mood is supposed to change because it's supposed to be very. I think it, you know when you're you're meant to read this very quickly, and I right. think the mood the mood is supposed to change as you go through it. It's almost you know like this. MTV quick cut feel to it to me. I've also never had this. I've never seen this style out of Dwayne McDuffie before. I mean, as a, as a fan of his work in general, I'm more used to his uh, his serious stuff. But I haven't read nearly as much of his of his humor take. And it's kind of Giffen Demetrius esque. Like, mm-hmm. like, like the humor in this definitely reminds me of of the era of the Bwahaha Justice League a lot. It, it and, almost uh, has a breaking the fourth wall feeling, even though they never do. Yes. Well, uh, actually, it, they do on page one. You only have a form of damage control on page one. He's oh, looking yeah, yeah. at the reader saying, do you believe what this guy's doing? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah, so you can even go ambush bug a little bit there uh, yeah. if, you, if you want to draw that comparison. I, I, I like the... the, whole, the even though it's the wrong building, I do appreciate the fact that the building now says DC, so we're essentially advertising DC in a Marvel book. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure that was with full knowledge that they were doing that. I mean, you couldn't oh. possibly make that mistake. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, overall, I, I, I appreciated it. I've, I've been a, I've been meaning to read these for a while. I remember picking up a bunch of the single issues of Damage Control shortly after Dwayne passed, and I never actually got a chance to go and read them. But... I yeah, I mean it's just it's nice to get some history on on you know a different side of Dwayne McDuffie that I didn't know before, and it, it it's enough to make me want to read more. But story's a little bit light and lacking at times. Um, I will say I did appreciate they didn't even bother showing us the full like ramifications of the Captain America fight. 
because that's not what we're here for. We're here for damage control. Like, if you want to read a superhero comic, go read a superhero comic. This is not really what you're supposed to be getting here. You're supposed to be, like, adjacent to the superheroes. Exactly. So I did, right. I did like that much. So, yeah, not, not perfect, but certainly acceptable. Yeah, we, we've done, over the years, we've done a fair number of uh, comedic books in here. And uh, I think, Gene, actually, you've been on for a couple of them. Well, I was on for the one ambush bug one. Yeah, which was, in in our opinion, if if I remember correctly, kind of a, a poor failure. Uh, yeah. You know, at least the one that we did. Uh, and then there's been there's been some others. Uh, I, I remember doing a uh, an Alf issue that had an X Men parody in it, and uh, you know, I, I'm just trying to think. But it, we did a few over over the years, and there's a there's a different style to trying to write comedy as opposed to trying to show comedy. I think in a visual medium, TV, movies, or you know, live, it's much easier because you can have slapstick. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you have the comic timing, even on dry humor, even if it's not slapstick. Uh, you know, the comic timing comes out in how, how you say the, the words or how you, know, you give that little pause, and that's what creates the comedy. It sure uh, does. Comedy.net. Okay, I had to. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anytime I can give you a plug, Ian. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I think those are all big factors in comedy. And when it comes to writing comedy, or more specifically, from my perspective, to reading comedy, it is very, very rare that I read something that makes me laugh out loud. Uh, I can't say this ever did that, but it did make me smirk a little, and that's still accomplishing something. You know, I'll, it, I'll tell you what, I I I I think the creators of Better Off Ted might have drawn from Damage Control a little bit, just because that's the feel that this reminded me of the most. Uh, the the television show Better Off Ted that was on for two seasons on ABC for a while about uh, a company called Viridian Dynamics and their 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 science and and you know crazy antics that that would wind up going on from there it, it, this reminded me a lot of that sort of humor which mm-hmm. i i would agree paul does work a lot better in a visual medium where you can actually you know see the full action of of the humor as it's taking place but you know this this does do still do a good job of at least giving us enough to 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 draw a lap out of right yeah i i think it does and and you know my my ultimate point is I think you have to succeed a little bit less in writing for me to consider it to be successful than you do with something that's visual. Uh, you know, if, if I'm not laughing out loud at visual, that's not enough. But in writing, if I'm smirking, it's kind of, that means it's pretty good. Or at least, in, you know, good to me. I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to, to influence what you guys think of it. <laughs> uh, you know, but like I said, it's, it's a rare, th- rare time that I read something that makes me laugh out loud. Whereas if I'm watching a movie, you know, I laugh out loud much more frequently. Right. It it takes less to make me laugh out loud with a you know with a visual medium. Makes I sense. Know, I, don't, I don't know if I'm just rambling here or if I'm actually making a point, but you know, <laughs> both. Him, we can we can be funny in an audio medium, possibly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest Ernie Cologne fan. Uh, and I'm trying to look at this, and I'm trying to, you know, say, okay, you know, from a comedic point of view, it kind of suits its purposes, but 
I'm trying to think if it were somebody who had a cleaner art style, or if not that he couldn't, because there's pictures in here where he does. But if it had been done all in a cleaner art style, would I enjoy it more? And ultimately, I think no, I wouldn't. I, I think some of the the art style lends itself to the humor. And I think if you had a more traditional superhero art style, I don't think it would work as well. I think that if you were to put a, a say, like a crisscross or a uh, 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 McGuire on, on mm-hmm. this book, yeah. so, somebody who could uh, wind up actually like putting expressions on the characters a little bit more, then it might lend itself to, to a book like Damage Control. Uh, just just because you don't really get to see reaction shots too much from Ernie Colon's art, and I, I think that's just you know that's just his style. That's just it. He he decided to you know change up the style itself for humor's sake, as opposed to say putting a unusual look on a character's face. Like that that might have worked a little bit better overall. And you know, like I, I put examples out there. You know, again, I, I already mentioned the Waha Waha era, but mentioning Chris Cross. Peter David's Captain Marvel is a perfect example of me of, of art that actually broadcasts humor. Uh, what do you think if if you put like say Mike Allred on this? Mm, I could see that. I could see that maybe working. Yeah, he, he, he's a little bit more bizarre than funny. I think though. But I think I think his style, because of the bizarreness, works a little bit with the physical comedy. Maybe not the reaction shots like you're talking about. Oh, fair enough. But I think like the physical body movements and all he could probably do well. Right. I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm trying to think of non-traditional art styles and whose mm-hmm. would fit it. Because, you know, like I don't see, say, a John Romita Sr., who's probably the cleanest artist I've ever seen, right. I don't see his style benefiting on this. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a looser style. Like, uh, I'm trying to think, like, maybe maybe a Scotty Young... Uh, when doing his serious stuff, uh, you know, like along the lines of like what he did on, say, like Deadpool, might might work. Uh, but I know he does he does more like you know children's comics these days than anything else. But yeah, I'm, I'm picturing in my mind Scotty Young's Wizard of Oz stuff. Right, but the the like the the cover art that he did for for Deadpool comics and and Amazing Spider-Man comics for a while, I can imagine that lending itself pretty well to a damage control type thing. That that's what I'm thinking. Like like a, an artist in general that can use a looser style may also lend itself to something like this you know something that's not quite clean like not like a bagley type uh but just something that's you know a little bit more loose and fluid Uh, something that tends to be a little more on the cartoonish side of things yes to to deal with the more absurd situations they're in yeah, like an M. McGinnis, actually, would be a good Yeah, example. that that would actually work pretty well, I think. I, th- I think that's the one where we're all going to agree, that that may be... If, if we were sitting, like, in the offices of Marvel Comics, and they were saying, okay, you know, McDuffie wrote this book, who, what artist do you want to assign to it? I think that's the one we hit, the one where we would uh, all say, yeah, that's the guy. Right. Yep. Yeah, because I, I think his style would certainly work. I mean, I could just... I, I'm picturing right now the splash page as drawn by him, and I think it brings it up a step. Oh, absolutely. It it might even be two steps. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm kind of thinking of the McGinnis on the Superman Batman series. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And and even his uh, his Hulk stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. With the Red Hulk and all that, Mm -hmm. uh, 
that's that's a very similar you know sort of style that I could see working here. Yeah, and I do agree. Kind of the that one shot of the kingpin smoking the cigarette is just a little disturbing looking. <laughs> <laughs> it looks more like Mayor Ed Koch. <laughs> oh God! How am I doing? <laughs> Like I don't, I don't want, I don't want my kingpin reminiscent of Koch. I'm sorry, I don't. No, <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, and I didn't really have a problem with Ed Koch, but I'm not sure I want anything reminiscent of him at this point in my <laughs> comic books. Uh, All right, so I guess it come, we've hit the point where we could rate this one and move on. So, from the cover point of view, I think it kind of conveys the message of the tone of the book that they want you to pick up. Uh, Captain America is drawn very, very strangely, though, and I'm not really much of a fan of that. Uh, I think, again, it would benefit... I think the layout is fine, but it would benefit from a cleaner art style with a little bit more... uh, a little bit more focus on anatomy and everything. So, uh, like I said, I like the layout, but I don't like the rendering, so I'm going to just say a C-plus on it. The interior art... You know, we've talked about people who we think might have done a better job with it, but it's not that I think Cologne did a bad job. I do like the jumping from style to style a little bit, just because it's kind of fun to pick out what style he's doing in the different pages. So, I said C-plus on the cover. I'm going to say a B-minus on the interior art. It could be better, but I kind of enjoy certain aspects of it. And the story, it's lighthearted, it's fun... Uh, I kind of like, I, I don't know if I've ever read anything that McDuffie wrote that I didn't like. So I like this. I'm going to give this story a, a, a flat out B, and I'm going to give the book overall a B minus. All right, cool. Uh, I The cover I'm going to agree with you on, especially because I've seen other damage control covers that are better. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give that a, I'm going to give that a C minus as well. I think that, uh, Especially the original miniseries for Damage Control. I think the like immediately the what comes to mind is that image of Spider-Man with uh, you know, you know it's it it's all you guys and as he's as he's walking away and they're and they're then they're left to deal with it like that's that's a very dynamic image. This doesn't really have much uh, much of a dynamic feel to it for me. So I, I it, they they could have done better with the uh, with the cover for this um, interior art. I. It was again. It was serviceable. I, 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 it wasn't my favorite. It was certainly not my least favorite. So I give that maybe like a, I don't know, but, but maybe like a B minus. And McDuffie, McDuffie's story, not his strongest, but I, I would still give it a solid B. So, yeah, I think that, I think that's where I roll with this. Uh, it, it, you know, again, it's it's a fun comic. It's just, I. I I would like to see a little bit more out of it, and hopefully I will if uh, if I go ahead and pick you know pick up the other damage control stuff that I happen to have lying around or read it in unlimited. Yeah, I think we're all pretty much on the same page here. I mean, as, as far as the cover goes, uh, it conveys, like you said, Paul, what's going to happen inside. I'm a little off on Cap completely using the the use of his left arm there. Because it, it looks like he's just hanging <laughs> limp. He can't do a, a thing with it. Uh, I guess, you know, it, it, it sets you up for, yes, this is going to be a goofy episode, but 
you know, featuring Cap on the cover is just a little too much. He really wasn't in it that a whole lot. So I'm, I'm going to say a C- minus on that. Uh, interior art, there are some, you know, good facial expressions in some cases, but the majority of them are you know, fairly standard looks. Uh, nothing super dynamic, but you you get you get the story across. You get okay. This is a serious scene based on the art style. This is a more com- comedic scene. Uh, I'll I'll give the interior artist C. It's yeah, not nothing great, nothing horrible. It's it's just good. Uh, story-wise, I, I like how it's this silly little side story that's going on during Acts of Vengeance, which is this big overarching supervillain plot. Uh, and really, you know, the Wrecking Crew, that's that's probably the, the this level of supervillain you're going to have in a silly little side story, because none of them are very bright. I think the Wrecking Crew are Marvel's version of the Royal Flush Gang. I Just throw them that. in any time we need a team for you to face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have they have the power level to take on Thor, but anyone with a little bit of smarts can outwit them. Yeah, uh, but I had, I had a good time with this. So I'm going to say probably a B minus on the story, so that that gives it a C plus overall. All right, and that's Damage Control number one, which, like I said, I think it was uh, kind of timely because Damage Control does come up in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, I, I forgot to give my overall B-, minus. by the way, so go ahead. Okay, and, you know, uh, just as a side note, I did look on eBay, and I think Damage Control was pretty much like a quarter-bin comic for the longest time, but mm-hmm. I guess in light of it being in... Uh, Homecoming, I saw this on eBay going for like $7. Oh, wow. Wow. I think I bought the whole of Damage Control a couple of years ago for $7. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, usually a lighthearted comic like this, you know, like I said, it's, it's you know, they sell what they do in first uh, release at uh, a dollar an issue, and then it's quarter bin fodder after that. Yep. Uh, but, you know... Anything. Once something's in a movie, usually, at least initially, it, it pumps up in value for a little while. All right, shall we move on? I think it is time to move on, and we can go on to our DC. And that is you today, Gene. Yes, it is. And this time we have Nightwing, issue number 16. Cover date on this is January 1998. The on-sale date is November, November 5th, 1997. The writer is Chuck Dixon, pencils by Scott McDaniel, inks by Carl Story, letters by John Costanza, colors by Roberta Tooze, separator is Jameson, the associator Darren Vincenzo, and the editor is Scott Peterson. On the cover, we have Nightwing standing in the darkness with only the blue of his costume and his white eyes visible. In front, of him, in front of him, also in darkness, is a car with its headlights on and his symbol on the hood. Going inside, we see Nightwing hanging by one hand off of a speeding package truck while flying tires give us our credits and the title of the issue, Wheels. Nightwing is able to survive the encounter thanks to some acrobatics and an illegally parked car, but the truck gets away. 
This cements his resolve to finally get a car of his own. The next day, Dick Grayson heads to the bank, where he meets the super of his building, Bridget Clancy. They trade some banter, and Dick goes to the teller to get the balance on the account that Lucius Fox has been handling for him. Turns out that Lucius is a really good portfolio manager. We cut to a hospital room where Dudley Soames, former inspector with the Bloodhaven Police Department, is waking up. The doctor tells him to remain calm, but that's kind of hard when Soames remembers that Blockbuster tried to kill him by twisting Soames' head completely around. The doctor sedates Soames, and he goes out asking, Why didn't you let me die? Meanwhile, Dick Grayson is looking over the Mumfrey Motors plant with a real estate agent. Dick rents the place, paying the first year in advance, and gets to work ordering car parts. In a montage, we see Dick assembling the entire car, except for the exterior. Dick, in disguise, next visits a junkyard and buys two undescribed cars, a truck cab, and a taxi. He pays the owner in cash, and the owner is more than happy to forget that anything ever happened. In another part of town, John Law, the former tarantula of All-Star Squadron fame, is accosted on the street by a man coming out of an alley. At first, we think this is the prelude to a mugging, but it turns out that this guy, Tad, is just a huge fan who wants Law's autograph. Back at the auto plant, Dick is looking for car help, so he called Oracle. She tells him that Robin would be a better choice, as would Batman, or even Alfred. Dick, however, doesn't want to run back to them for every problem. They hash out some stuff about Bruce's father-son relationship with Dick, as well as some of their own feelings. Barbara is convinced that she can't be with Dick due to her paralysis, but he tries to set her straight. She just ends the call rather than respond. On his walk home from working on the car, Dick runs into Clancy, who's carrying a TV that she just bought off the back of a truck. No, really, she literally bought it off the back of a truck. Cutting to John Law's apartment, we see that he's entertaining Tad. John's reliving the old days, but we can see Tad's a little unhinged as he's going from geeking out to extreme rage over the, and I'm quoting here, creeps and perverts and wastoids that he sees infecting the city. Tad leaves, and Law is very relieved to have him gone. Elsewhere, at the, a defunct pump-and-go gas station, we see the group selling TVs, packing it up for the night, and heading out. Nightwing, in his new ride, follows and gives us a lowdown on the car. The crew in the truck spot him, and one opens the back door to shoot their pursuer. Nightwing explains how the body and windshield have been treated so that they not only stop bullets, but absorb the impact so there are no ricochets. Nightwing cuts ahead of the truck on the ramp to the bridge and releases caltrops to pop all their tires. Disabled, the truck runs into the Jersey barriers in the middle of the bridge. The guys get out and go after Nightwing, who takes them all down in one panel. He ties them up and leaves just as the police arrive. As Nightwing drives off, we see man bats on top of the bridge looking down at the car. I'm a mock for man bat. <laughs> I should have brought the next episode issue. Nah, no, it was just a cool ending for me. It just like, uh, just seeing that was like, oh, man bat. <laughs> so there, there's a lot going on in this issue, but what do you expect out of Chuck Dixon? <laughs> right. Yeah, true. 
There, there's so many subplots going on here, but it, he gets he gets to them all. Uh, at, to quote Michael Bailey, all subplots accounted for. Uh, but it, and it's moving things forward, which is nice. You know, it's it's a a nice contained story, but you get the stuff with with Clancy, the stuff with Tad and John Law, the stuff with Oracle, and you know all these things that are paying off little by little. But the story of him deciding to get a car, building the car, and then using the car all in one issue. So I was 14 when the, when this comic came out in in Shut 1998. Up. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one was just for you, Paul. But uh, I, it's funny because I, I think I actually kind of remember seeing this on the racks at a uh, at a drugstore that mm-hmm. was down the block from my from my dad's place in uh, in Rigo Park, Queens, uh, the dog grooming shop that he has, and I. I think I remembered wanting to pick it up just because of the fact that it had that that sort of striking cover, like it, like you expect that it's going to be like something really important going on because it's just it's just Nightwing on the cover with the car. That's it. Like okay, this is this is a an iconic image for a character like Nightwing, and it it really just like it makes you wonder like okay, so what so. What what's going to happen in here? And you know, as you read the issue and you find out that this is where he first gets his car together, I think that's really cool. And it's the sort of storytelling that I've always appreciated about Chuck Dixon is that he he builds. You know, he doesn't just he doesn't just throw stories out for the sake of them being there. And you really get like more than just like the two dimensional. This is a superhero. He already has this stuff. Let's roll. It's Nightwing is in a new city. He needs to establish himself. He needs to get his bearings. He needs to get it. He needs to, to get the uh, the ground running. Uh, what's he going to do? And you know, this is this is a step in that direction. And it's it's really freaking cool. And I would have completely ate this up as a kid, and I completely ate it up here. This this <laughs> was this was terrific stuff. Yeah, I, I was in college when this came out, so I I was getting it. Uh... I was getting the Nightwing series as it was coming out. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, every month at the comic store. Yeah, give me my Nightwing. Yeah, yep. so I, I was following this along as it was going, and you're right. It it's it's constantly building. I mean, when when all this started, uh, Dudley Soames was Nightwing's contact, but he wasn't Jim Gordon. This was this is a a guy that was playing both sides of the fence. And as you can see, he ended up in, you know, not a great way. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine I, he, I imagine he comes back later on in the series. He co- He comes back as the supervillain known as Torque. Gotcha. So I was a young father when this Well, I don't know if I was young, but I was a father of a very <laughs> young child when this came out and I was trying to struggle to find time to read comics whenever I could. Uh, so this was under my radar at that time. I, I had not, uh, I was not getting Nightwing at this point. Uh, but reading through it now, uh, the cover, I find the cover to be interesting because it is striking. I agree with you on that, Ian. Uh, I guess it's kind of the beginning of the era, or maybe even the, more in the middle of the era, I don't know, but where they, you know, when they started having poster images that didn't necessarily tell you what was in the book. Uh, but this one kind of skates on the edge of that. It's a poster-type image, but it's giving you a little something of what's in the book. So 
I, I definitely think it's kind of cool. I mean, it's minimalist. You know, most of it is just black. But what is in there really catches your eye. I think this is a very well-designed cover to make you curious as to what you're going to see inside. I know I would be anticipating more of a film noir type story based on this cover than what we actually got. Mm. Uh, but still just the same, it would definitely pique my curiosity. The interior art, I'm not as high on. I, I, it's just not my style is the thing. Uh, I think, you know, being a guy who likes anime and manga, I think this may be more your style, Ian, than mine. Oh. Yeah, and, and and actually, I mean, what I was going to bring up is that this reminds me of the the artwork we were getting out of the Xbox at the time. Um, very, very much that uh, bringing a, a little bit more of a, of, a, uh, of a Japanese style into American comics. And it's, it's also fascinating to me to see sort of proto Scott McDaniel, because Scott McDaniel's artwork changed a lot over the years. Um, mm-hmm. uh, th- this this is this is a little bit more. Uh, I'd, I'd say closer to typical superhero art when you look at his later stuff in, like, say, like the uh, the early 2000s and even stuff that he did on. Uh, I remember he did uh, one of the Convergence crossovers where he did the main art on. I think it was like one of those like battle arena type things they did for Convergence uh, back in the mm-hmm. day. Uh, sorry, not Convergence. Uh, crap. Uh, Are you talking about uh, uh, Countdown? No, thank you, Countdown. That's exactly what I was okay. thinking. Yeah, Countdown Arena is what he did the art on. Um, and and I remember in that his art was a lot more blocky. Uh, it was uh, way more loose than what you get here. And I'm not sure whether that's the inking or whether it's uh, just a, a style change. But it's a very very different Scott McDaniel. And and Scott McDaniel did later work on Nightwing too. And it's a completely different style here. But you can still see the the traces of that in this. But I well, I'm I not very really- familiar with Carl's story. Are you? I'm I'm familiar with him from this run on Nightwing. I don't I don't recall him on anything else. So I'm wondering if maybe he kind of imposed a little bit of his own style on top of McDaniel's pencils. That's a possibility. Uh, you said you said Carl Story was the name of the anchor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let me uh, let me. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna DB him as All you guys right. get to talk. Uh, it's, it's Carl with a K, by the way. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's see. I'm uh, again. I'm more on the an- anime manga side of stuff. But the the weird thing about Scott McDaniel is I don't like the way he draws Superman. I don't like the way he draws Batman. But I love the way he draws Nightwing. And well, I, certainly, I would think his Batman would be closer to Nightwing than his Superman. No, is actually he he draws his Batman big and bulky. Okay, and, uh, yeah, I, I prefer the lithe athletic-looking Batman to the weightlifting-looking Batman. Yeah, but I see, I like uh, the way he does Nightwing, especially with the the multiple images in the one panel, reminiscent of, like, a Ramita Spider-Man, uh, where you see him doing the acrobats or swinging. Same thing, where you see, like, on, uh, was it, page three, where Nightwing is tumbling into the parked car, jumping into the fence, and then landing in the snow. And you have four images of him in one panel. Right, so you get you get that kinetic movement to it. Yeah, I like I like his layouts in this very much. Yeah. And I, I I think you know part of it part of it is that I don't I'm not a fan of the anime style, and part right. of it is 
if you took this same thing and had a very clean inker, just really kind of flesh it out and clean it up uh, with with a you know kind of a thinner line and and more just like I said cleaner. I think I, I think I would really like the artwork in this book. Mm-hmm. Carl Story, by the way, I just looked it up. He, he's he's a career anchor. Uh, he he worked on uh, McDaniel's Batman stuff back in the day uh, went, uh, with uh, Brubaker on writing, so he was a part of that. Uh, he's also done. He actually worked on the Multiversity book uh, with uh, with Grant Morrison as one of like the four anchors that worked in tandem on that story. Um, plus, he's done some stuff like he, like a random like fill in issue of Ex Machina. It looks like he did. Uh, he he did some stuff on Shield, the uh, Mark Wade version. From a couple of years ago, you know he's he's all over the place. He's just one of those anchors that mm-hmm. looks like he just like picks picks up work uh, wherever he can, um, and uh, and works with a bunch of different artists. But he definitely has worked with McDaniel a lot over the years. Okay, so they they've got a good working relationship apparently because they were yeah. both on this book. It was the two of them and Chuck Dixon did I think the first seventy five issues of this series. Oh wow. Yeah, it's it a long run. Yeah, they had a, a really long run on this this book, and it was it was excellent. the The entire thing going through was just terrific. Uh, yeah, definitely in story story wise, but I also think in the art because it's it it doesn't really change a huge amount. It's it's all consistent like this. Well, like I was saying though, like other than some stylistic choices as far as like the way the faces are rendered and uh, some of the thick line work and things like that. Uh, I don't have any problem with the actual layouts. I think the layouts are solid. I think the anatomy is good. You know, I don't see anybody who's who's got, you know, just going back to the issue we, we just did before this, I don't see that, that strange left Captain America arm on anybody. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, I like I said, I think if you, if you took this and had... Uh, uh, you know, like Bob Layton <laughs> to the Ink King on it. I think I'd love the art in this book. Mm-hmm. It's just not my style is the problem. It's not, right. again, it's, it has nothing to do with the actual uh, quality of the rendering. Right, yeah. And, and and this was definitely, again, this was definitely a trend at the time uh, that, that you can see uh, rushing off, but uh, I think I think what worked uh, the best about, uh, about this is that it, it did give the book a, a very youthful feel. And although, you know, Dick Grayson is the oldest of the Robins, he was still only in, I say, maybe like his early 20s as being presented in, in this book. So you needed it to feel a little bit younger than the rest of the characters uh, in the DC universe at the time. And you do get that idea of him still finding himself and still having a youthful feel and atmosphere. It was very kinetic. Uh, I think that's what I appreciated the most about it. And I would agree with all of that. I have no problem with any of that. That as far as uh, this goes, and even like I said, where I would have some stylistic issues with this, it wouldn't be enough to make me shy away from the series. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. If I had, you know, at the time this was coming out, like I said, I, I was I was pretty busy, yeah. uh, so I didn't really have time ta- time to sit down and read a lot of books each week. So. I had to pick and choose. This wasn't one of the ones I was getting. But had this been on my pull list, I, I think I would have, you know, I would, I would not, I would not have shied away from it because of the art. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, at the same time, you know, you mentioned Ian that this is similar to what they were doing in the X books at this time, and I was getting the X books at this time, and 
I remember commenting that I don't really care for the uh, the <laughs> anime style of some of it, but other than that, you know, I, I was enjoying a lot of the books that were coming out. And it yeah. ended with Man Bat. <laughs> <laughs> and I look forward to maybe, uh, yeah, I may very well just wind up just reading more of this because this is giving me a good nostalgia trip from like when I was first really getting into DC Comics. And uh, that's what'd you, what'd you say? You were fourteen when this came out? Yeah, I was fourteen. Yeah, I was born in '84. So Which, this, oh god, yeah. Uh, but but that, that is that is like the prime years. They they say from I think it's from when you're 12 to when you're 15, is mm-hmm. when most of your tastes are developed as far as reading, movies, music, that type of thing. It doesn't mean you don't refine them as you get older. It doesn't mean that you don't get more intelligent in your choices. But that's where you're always going to go back to as far as your base. Yeah. And so you know this would be right in your wheelhouse then. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's why I can I can read you know Frank Robbins Invaders, whereas other people turn their nose up and say, oh my god, how do you look at that? And I look at it and it just creates these feelings of nostalgia for me. <laughs> yeah, these 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 uh, these eras of, of of comics. I I think I was still more of a Marvel guy uh, when this was first uh, like at this point in my life, but I was just starting to discover DC. And I think if memory serves, this was around the time. This was this before or after Zero Hour. Uh, I think this is after. This is after, yeah, because okay. I, uh, yeah, because Nightwing did. He was still in his second costume during Zero Hour, I believe. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I, I, I remember that was. I think that was one of the first DC books that I picked up off the rack, picking up issue zero, thinking that it was the first issue because I didn't know any better, <laughs> and then reading the last issue of Zero Hour and being like, this is very interesting i want to learn more <laughs> about this and then i you know got into a couple books from there and remember my first issue of green lantern was actually uh, uh green lantern 100 with the uh the crossover between uh kyle and hal oh okay That's- i remember that yep and my my love of, of uh kyle rayner developed there and i didn't really care much about Hal. <laughs> no one does anymore <laughs> yeah well, like- I, I grew up with hal as my green lantern but but then, like you, I was more of a Marvel guy from the beginning, and then I kind of got pulled in to DC with more like the Justice Society. So maybe 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 I'm uh, you know I'm going to go back to the Golden Age Green Lantern. Yeah, that'll that'll work. The the guy who had almost no green in his costume. Yes, <laughs> Sentinel. Yes. But yeah, I, I you know I was definitely I grew up as a Marvel reader and then kind of branched out into dc yeah yeah so. uh, Un- uncanny x-men 300 was my first ever uh comic I, re- I really remember getting other than some random stuff uh, uh cgs just had an episode of uh of top five childhood comics and i remembered some of the other random things that i wound up getting before that but i still consider uncanny x-men uh, 300 my uh, my first i had do you guys remember there was actually, funny enough, a Dwayne McDuffie written uh, Spider-Man drug comic that came out, like a like a basically a don't do drugs PSA that came out in like the uh, the early very early nineties uh, that I wound up picking up off the racks and it was actually a pretty decent story from what I remember it. Um, but then again, I probably look back on it now and think it was crap. But uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it was McDuffie on the story, and I forget who did the art, but it was also a, like a very seasoned veteran uh, on the art there. And I had the Marvel Holiday Special, I think from '92 or '93, that I wound up picking up. And 
that was for a holiday special. That was a weird collection of books because it was all established characters with all established storylines, and I had no idea what the hell I was written. <laughs> it was. Fun. But that's that's part of that's part of the joy of being that age and being into comics because yep. you're oh, as long as you're open to it. If you have the mentality that we obviously all had, uh, then you're you're saying okay, I want to know what's going on here. It's not. It wasn't forbidding. It wasn't, oh, these stories are going on, so I don't know what's happening, so I'm going to go on and do something else, which I'm sure some people do. But clearly, people of our ilk said, I need to figure out what's going on here. Let me get these other issues that these people are in and read them, and then I'm going to understand. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it became a lifelong obsession (laughs) that has crippled us all. Please, one of one of the first uh, Spider-Man comics I, I really remember getting into was the reveal of who the clone was. So, oh. that, yeah, that, that that says a lot about my reading history right there. It's like, <laughs> uh, oh, it turns out this guy named Ben Riley was Peter Parker the entire time. I am intrigued, and I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, so we want to rate this one. All right, I will start us off here. Uh, as as we all touched on, the cover is striking. Uh, it it does give you a hint of what's in the story, but doesn't give you too, doesn't give pretty much anything away. Uh, but I remember when I was in the comic shop, uh, Fam of the Attic, in on Craig Street, as we talked about last week. Uh, I saw this as like, ooh, I need to get that one. And so I'm, I'm going to give the cover an A because it did exactly what it's supposed to do. It grabbed my attention. Maybe you want to buy it. Uh, interior art, as as we've discussed, it is more on the anime side, but I, I think it really, really works for Nightwing. Uh, like I said, when Batman or Superman guest starred in this book, I wasn't too thrilled with, with them, but for everything that's going on here and the... the uh, extreme facial expressions in some instances. I'm I'm gonna have to give the the art nay as well. And the story it's it's Chuck Dixon on a bat book. It's just straight up a plus. There, there's no arguing with that. Yeah. So oh, I I would say overall it's a, it's an a book. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty damn close to you on that. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm I give the cover. Honestly, I give the cover an A plus. I mean, it's, it, it is it is one of the it is one of my favorite images of of Nightwing that that I've seen in a while. Uh, just because you know, there's action shots and then there's just a simple profile, and that's what you have here. It's just him bathed in darkness. You could tell, even though the smile was invisible, that he's smiling. Hmm. You know, like he's he's got like genuine like joy on his face that he's badass and he has himself a new car. And so I see him smirking, not so much yeah, grinning. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of like the wise ass smile. Oh yeah, no, because oh, that's yeah. that's dick to a T, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I give it an A plus. Uh, the, the art, I'm going to give a solid A. There was a, like one or two instances where the facial expressions were a little too exaggerated for me, but I expect that from Scott McDaniel. So yeah, I, I definitely let it slide because the rest of the action was just so it just flowed so great and I, I was I was a big fan of it and like what was said about Chuck Dixon man it's like when when Chuck Dixon was rolling he was rolling and this is absolutely in his wheelhouse here uh, Nightwing is his character 
in a lot of ways. He developed that character more than than most. He also developed Barbara more than most. I mean, a combination of Chuck Dixon and Gail Simone, you've got Birds of Prey right there. And, uh, you know, most people say Gail Simone before Chuck Dixon. Chuck Dixon built those building blocks. Um, people, A lot of people forget that. So I'm, I'm going to give the story of this an A as well. And, yeah, straight up A uh, overall as my, as my uh, score. Okay. I'm going to praise the book, but I'm going to be the least praising of the three of us. So I guess I'm going to be the naysayer. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the cover, I, I, I agree with your descriptions of it as striking. I do think it is. Uh, it is a minimalist cover, however, and I'm going to say it doesn't quite doesn't quite reach the level of iconic to me. So I'm going to just say a B plus on the cover. I must feel like I'm insulting it by giving it a B plus. <laughs> I, won't, I won't tell art. Scott McDan- McDaniel if you won't. <laughs> <laughs> the interior art, uh, as I said, I think the layouts are really solid. I think the storytelling in it is really good i i think you know there's some innovation in the way the pl- the the panels are laid out i think the anatomy is good it's really just a matter of stylistically that it's not the style that i like but i'm kind of I go, I go back and forth on that should i be taking off points just because it's not my style and then I'm, I'm really not critiquing the art so much as I'm critiquing it to my tastes. On the other hand, it's my show, so it should go to my tastes. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so I go back and forth on it. But I'm, I'm going to say because I like the layouts, because I like the storytelling, and because I think if it had been inked cleaner, I would be raving about it, I'm going to give it just a, a, a solid B. Uh, and the story, I'm kind of in agreement with you. It's jam-packed but it gets a lot done and it still manages to tell a complete story inside of it as well so i'm going to give the story an a uh and overall i'll give the book a b plus all right it works for so me I'm the, I'm the i'm the naysayer only because i only liked it a lot <laughs> <laughs> you didn't fawn over it like we did <laughs> exactly when, any, when anybody tries to say that, that the 90s uh comics were all crap uh i i bring him to stuff like this and i'm like you didn't read it all because yeah there was there were plenty of gems in the 90s oh yeah well see the thing about the 90s and we've talked about this on the show before but the thing about the 90s is there was a glut of comics yes there was more there were more comics being produced in the 90s probably than any other era ever so of course you're gonna have more crap but you also have more good stuff Yep. At least the way I'm looking at it. That's you know, it, It's just the law of averages. You're going to have more crap if you're putting out more stuff. Plus, if you're putting out more stuff, you're going to be kind of taking all, you know, all the best creators are at work, and then some stuff has to be created by the, the less than great creators. Uh, you know, there's only so many to go around. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's only so much money to invest in it, too. So sometimes, you know, there was, uh, I, I'm sure, like companies that cut corners and didn't do things the same way. And, you know, what can you do? That's that's the way it works. But to try and paint it with a broad brush and say everything from the 90s sucked is just kind of dumb. Agreed. Yep. So that's it for Marvel, and that's it for DC, and now we go on to our independent friend. And now for something completely different. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, to preface this, the reason why that I, that I immediately thought of this uh, when you invited me on today is uh, so th- I mentioned earlier in the episode that uh, Comic Geek Speak had a, uh, a top five in recent memory of, uh, you know, top five uh, comics uh, you remember from when you were a kid. 
and that had me remembering the episode of uh, Top Five that I was on, uh, which I think might have been the last one they did actually, because they're a little harder uh, in between now on those, uh, which was about a year and a half ago. I was on a, a Top Five under underappreciated creators episode, and I threw out the Luna Brothers as one of my underappreciated creators because I remembered. Uh, being in college uh, in in 2005 and uh, picking this up off the racks and being intrigued. Um, It was just like, it was a random issue at that point. I think it was like issue, I don't know, maybe like 19 or 20 that I picked up. And then I wound up eventually buying the trades to to fill in my gap and then just continued collecting the the series and and singles until it concluded. Um, And that is uh, the the series Girls uh, by uh, Jonathan Luna and Joshua Luna. Uh, They do pretty much everything. Uh, Plot, art, colors, and letters are by Jonathan Luna. Uh, Plot, script, and layouts are by Joshua. And uh, this is out of Image Comics. uh, May 2005 is the cover date for this. And they give special thanks to Edward Lapatugal, Ramit Calderon and Gritty McGrit on that front on that front page. I have no idea who those are, but they sound cool. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll just go with them being cool. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're introduced to the layout of of a town called Penny's Town, uh, which I'm sure is in no way uh, an allegory for, or at least a, uh, a, a maybe a, a subtle hint towards what's to come. In this in this uh, in this issue, but uh, I will mention that this is for mature audiences, most definitely. Uh, this this issue, uh, in particular, is a little bit less so than later on in the series. But this is very much a mature comic. So don't let your kitties read this. But uh, we start off with the, uh, the the running of the sperm, as I like to call it, as <laughs> uh, as, as we as we get sort of a. Uh, I can imagine uh, a voiceover, a booming voiceover happening as, as this happens here. The cycle begins with an eruption. They push outward with an unwavering resolve, never stopping and never explaining, only creating. Their movements appear disjointed, spontaneous, yet there is poetry behind the proliferation, structure behind the chaos. The path is unforgiving, and many will fail. But this journey is not meant for the weak. This is life. It is beautiful. And it is ugly. I got my uh, voiceover chops up for that one. Um, <laughs> and, so I could and, tell. Yep. And we rolled in, uh, to, to the next scene and see that, uh, that this is not actually uh, the act of coitus going on, but uh, the act of uh, masturbation. As a very frustrated uh, man, it looks like he could be in his uh, maybe uh, early twenties, thereabouts, is uh, is getting himself ready in the morning, and it goes out and and, uh, and says hello to his uh, to his neighbors. Uh, the main character's name is Ethan, uh, and uh, starts his day off in this small little town of Penny's Town with a population of sixty-five. It says right there. Uh, we get the introduction of a uh, of a newcomer to the town um, who's visiting her parents for the weekend, and she walks into the shop that uh, Ethan and his friend Merv work at, and uh, things get a little bit suggestive or at least uh, misunderstood 
uh, with lines like, oh my god, are you trying to get me wet? And then her trying to explain that uh, it's going to rain tomorrow, so that's why she's talking about it. Uh, as he tries to invite her out to a uh, to a uh, a bar uh, that night to try and you know hang out while she's in town, definitely trying to uh, perhaps get himself a girlfriend out of this, and it's not really working that well. Uh, at one point, she asks if if he could squeeze her melons, but of course, this is a supermarket, and she means actual melons and not uh, anything else you might have been thinking of. So get that out of your mind there. Uh, he believes that he's just made a date with her, but then she mentions that she's going to bring her parents as well. So, yeah, literally every single cue that he thought he was getting in this in this sequence here with this girl just was not happening for him. So, tough break, buddy. But we move on to that night at the bar as, uh, as Ethan and Merv are sitting there. And uh, Merv is uh, chowing down on some chicken wings, and he's got some... Uh, buffalo sauce all over his face so you can see what's been going on there and uh, Ethan is he definitely seems like he's a little bit depressed uh, over uh, an ex-girlfriend that he really can't get over but he's really trying to and Merv is trying to egg him on to move on uh, but it's just not happening and uh, the the Alexis is, is who we're introduced to next who's had a maybe a drink too many and is being overly friendly with Ethan. Ethan takes the signals wrong, goes in for a kiss on Alexis, and she pulls away, saying that she was just trying to be friendly. And that's when Ethan gets a a punch and then winds up essentially snapping. Like, he, he winds up saying everything that's been on his mind about everybody who lives in this town of 65. Uh, whether it's the drinks or whether it's the fact that his mind just finally just like snapped, it happens. So he winds up telling off uh, everybody in the bar, including uh, Molly, who looks like she's a little bit of an older person. Uh, this uh, this couple uh, in the corner of uh, Kenny and Nancy. Kenny uh, is definitely the uh, the one who's being held down by uh, by Nancy as uh, she parades him for not stepping in and stopping Ethan uh, from his from having his tirade. But then she he goes up in, uh, into Nancy's face and tells her to, to shut up and that he's and that she's uh, basically made Katie useless as sort of being her errand boy in life. And he just says he's sick. He's sick to his stomach about everything. Uh, finally, the, uh, the new girl comes in with her family and he winds up uh, telling her off too, which is where things start to get interesting here. And I start to wonder whether this is actually an outburst that he is wanting to have or whether something's happened to him where he's uh, actually just straight up spouting the truth off uh, to everybody, whether he wants to or not, because he doesn't really like know these people. And yet, at the end of his tirade, he winds up saying, I don't have to know any of you. Don't you get it? You're women. So you can't get more misogynistic than that. Gets kicked out of the bar, uh, quite literally, thrown on his butt in a pouring rain, and he decides to drive home. But before he does, this giant boom happens, which you can tell because the sound effect says, boom! And it blasts out all the windows of, of the cars nearby, and uh, doesn't stop Ethan from getting in his car to drive home. But as he's doing so, 
he winds up finding in the road a a girl uh, looks like she might be about his age who has a cut on her on her right shoulder and she's completely naked from head to toe and uh, it looks like she's definitely not in in the in a in the right state of mind uh, doesn't really say much other than the word no and then she passes out and, and Ethan catches her and, and puts her in her in his car to drive off and as he's doing so you see that uh, a father and son seem to be chasing her and we're not sure why but one of them has a gun and uh, and the son is definitely uh a little bit more subservient here, but uh, the, the the father is the line he uses is "Put your pecker back in your trousers, boy." Uh, that cop can kiss my ass, son. That bitch ain't getting away. And that's how the issue ends. Now, when I when I read this book for the first time, I read it in trade, and I kind of forgot just just how little happens in this first issue. Like it's it, it, there's there's intrigue, but there's also there's also not a lot of uh, of story development. Um, like there's enough mystery to keep you going, but I could have sworn that this was a much more meatier issue the first time that I read it. And now that I've actually looked at it again for the first time in years, uh, I don't I don't really know if I would have been nearly as intrigued in it today had I been back in 2005 when I picked this up. Um, but then again, I also picked up like issue like 18 or something like that. Off, off the stands. By then, the story was going and moving and everything, and and uh, there was a lot more going on. Um, it, it, it sort of turns into, uh, I mean, just just the general idea. It sort of turns into an under the dome type story, um, where they're all trapped under this uh, sperm like dome uh, that's that's been erected. And I don't want to give much else away, other than the fact that uh, yeah, there's there's no way out, and this town has 65 people and. You talk about stir crazy when you trap that many people into one space it ain't pretty and there's a lot more going on in this book than meets the eye but uh i, I enjoyed it a lot it's just yeah way less me than i remembered it being but i love the art the Winter brothers have a very a, a, a very detailed style and they do manage to put some excellent uh facial features on their characters and people just look real. You know, they, they don't look cookie cutter. They don't look like the, you know, the supermodel images that you find in, in, other, in, in other art styles. Uh, it's not just typical superhero art. This, is, this just feels a lot more real to me than, than other artwork can. And the colors are very vibrant and fresh and, and yet it, it, it works for the book a lot, so. Yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. I just, again, I, I remember this being a lot more meaty than it actually was. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna take the the opposite take on the uh, the art here because I think pretty much all the faces look the same. Okay. Uh, like it, like if you're looking on uh, the, was it page four, whatever, where it's the the four stacked panels where the Ethan and the new girl are just looking at each other. Mm -hmm. The only way I know they're different is because Ethan has long hair and she has lipstick. <laughs> Fair <laughs> the enough. The nose is the same. The brow is the same. The lips are the same. The chin is the same. 
it, it's like um, uh, a lot of the the complaints you hear about, like the old old school Transformers, mm-hmm. is the faces are all exactly the same except uh, the heads. You know what's surrounding the face is different. That's that's kind of how I feel about this. I, I mean, obviously you enjoy this, but I I I came out of this, and you're right. It's there's not a whole lot going on because I get I got to the last page, and the only thing in my head was, what the heck did I just read? Because <laughs> it's it's a it's some setup that goes nowhere. Yeah, and it's not. It, uh, to be honest, it's not even enough to get me to want to follow it. I uh, I get to the end, and it's like, okay, that was interesting, and moving on. See, I part of me wishes if I had remembered it being as as dry and and not a lot, not a lot of story going on, I actually would have just picked issue two instead of issue one because okay. Uh, once once the story gets going, and I, I I will reveal enough of this here just just so that you get a basic idea. Like, um, this this woman that he that he finds, um, they wind up having uh, sex, and then suddenly all these clones of this this girl start showing up, and they're they're not exactly docile. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, they appear they appear they appear quite angry. And that's where the sperm-like dome appears, and hmm. we're left to we're left to figure out exactly what the hell is happening here, why these women are here, and you know what the town is going to do to try and fight these 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 women off. Uh, all while at the same time, these women are trying to copulate and, and multiply. Now, by way of full disclosure, I did not have access to this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did was I read a synopsis of it, and I did a Google search, and I found some artwork from it. So I kind of have a story, uh, you know, I have an idea of what the story is, I have an idea what the artwork looks like, but I can't comment on how it developed, and if it made sense, and if it was intriguing, and the pacing of it, and all of that, I, I have to just leave to you two to, to kind of mm. clue me in as to that stuff. Fair enough. Uh, the story as I read the synopsis of it, sounded kind of intriguing, I thought. Uh, the synopsis I read did have some of what you talked about now, uh, Ian, that it didn't, you know, it didn't just end with issue one. Right. So it, it gave me enough to kind of be intrigued and say, hmm, that sounds somewhat interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, you know, if it was well portrayed, I would probably have that view at the end of it. The artwork, as I see it, is... Uh, kind of like a nice simple line, thin lines, uh, you know, but almost leaving a little bit of it to your imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, not cartoony, you know. A lot of times when you get the very thin lines and and you know a little blank space, it almost has a cartoony look. I didn't see that in this. Uh, I saw it more in the way of moody, or you know, as as I'm sure it's intended. To, to look, you know, sexy in some ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you said, uh, cle- clearly from the pictures that I found and from the synopsis I read, it is an adult comic. Oh, yes. uh, you know, there's no no question about it. Uh, I, I, you know, I can't give you too much, but I, like I said, I, I 
think it seemed intriguing and I think the artwork from what I see of it would have been enough to pull me through it it gives me the impression though like a couple of different ones that we've read over the years in here that this one might be better to read in trade where you have the whole thing in front of you absolutely yeah rather than reading it one issue at a time yeah yeah and and, and I, I completely agree with you yeah no because considering that I went you know when I read those first issues it was as a six issue trade um now I know now I know why <laughs> <laughs> now did the Luna Brothers do the uh Spider-Woman origin series is that them yep they sure did yeah no and, okay because that I'm a huge fan of and that's that's what this reminded me of so that's why I uh I asked that because the artwork did look familiar to me yeah um I think that's that's the curse of a lot of books though what we were just talking about as far as uh you know the decompressed storytelling it almost makes it so that if you're not reading a six-issue chunk, you're not getting enough meat on the bone mm -hmm. to make it worth your while. Yeah, I will and mention, I, I, by the way, uh, that uh, that Comicsology Unlimited has, uh, if not the full series, but I think at least the first couple of trades available for quote-unquote borrowing. Um, so if, if you did want to read it digitally and you have a Comicsology Unlimited subscription. Uh, I'd say that's the way to do it. Um, they have the collections, but they also have the single issues. And you know, considering that it's digital in the first place, you know, finish one issue, borrow the next, yada yada yada, and you'll you'll be you know caught up and done before you knew it. Because it was a a finite story. It's been over for years, um, and I think it went I don't know maybe like eight trades worth of uh, material, but yeah, way more going on than what's presented in the first issue. I'll take that much. When, when you think about the comic style of the comic writing style that developed over the years, where they started going into these six-issue blocks to tell a story, you know, it, it's it's a nice thing because it allows them to really develop personalities and characters, and not have everybody be cookie cutter and have their motivations unexplained, or you know, have them motivations have to be you know stereotypical because we don't have time to go into them. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's also kind of a bane of the industry because a lot of times you pick up these books and you put it down and it's like, you know, I read this in 30 seconds and I didn't really get a lot. Uh, you know, when you think about it from the perspective of a series like this, you, you're coming out with a series that isn't an established character or, or team and you want people to pick it up starting at month one and still be intrigued enough to pick up month two. That's that's asking a lot, and I don't think it's that easy. Yeah. And you, you look at some series. Uh, last time you were on with me, and we we did a, a, a an issue that had Invincible in it. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading through those, and uh, I did them, you know, taking out the thicker hardcovers from the library, which I think were eighteen issues in each, something it, like that. The, the Ultimate Collections, I think, are twelve in total. Yeah. Okay, so let's say 12 issues in each. Now, that was a nice chunk to sit down and read, because if I had read that one issue at a time, I don't know if I would have been that intrigued by it, because there wasn't enough in each individual issue. But when you sat, when I sat down and I read 12 issues in one sitting, I walked away and I was extremely satisfied. Absolutely. So, you know, if you're, you know, I don't know what kind of following the Luna Brothers have. Now, if they have a following where people are going to say, no, you got to stay with this because we know they're going to deliver over time, then they can get away with something like this. On the other hand, if it's, hey, pick up issue one and you're going to like it enough to pick up issue two, that's, again, it's a tall order. 
Yeah. Uh, when this issue, when this book came out, I think all they had really done was Ultra, uh, which was, uh, I think, like a superhero celebrity book, if memory serves. It's sitting on my, it's sitting on my shelf, actually, right now. Um, but uh, but they had done that, and I know that they had gotten decent acclaim for that, plus, you know, this, with the Spider-Man origin. And I know that uh, more recently, Alex and Ada is a book that I think at least Jonathan Luna worked on uh, that is very popular. And I, I need to pick up the trades for that because, you know, obviously, if I, if I liked what they had to do here, I'm going to like that. Um, but, yeah, I guess it just totally depends on, on preference. And I would think at this point, most people who are picking this up are either going to be doing it through Comixology Unlimited or as trades that they find, um, you know, either through an in-stock trades or an Amazon or, you know, Barnes & Noble or something like that anyway. So that's, that's the way to go. It is very much a broken down story and read issue two i'll just say that because <laughs> <laughs> you don't get much out of issue one <laughs> yeah this is this is more or less the complete opposite of the nightwing issue isn't it <laughs> oh you yeah, well, the, the nightwing issue especially when you consider the nightwing issue came out in the era of decompressed comics that was jam-packed and this one is you know it's it's a little bit of a you know it's a taste Yep. And then you gotta, you, you know, they just hope you've they've wet your whistle and you want more. If you enjoy seeing random naked women in the middle of the road, you will enjoy girls. <laughs> now, I, I don't mean this facetiously, but that is a selling point for some people. <laughs> some people are going to want to pick up a more adult comic that's going to have more adult things, and they're going to find this to be, you know, a little, for lack of a better word, titillating. Hey, 2005 me, love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you know, I unfortunately, like I said, I didn't go through, I, I didn't have the access to the full issue, so I don't know if you guys have any more to critique on it. Uh, the, the, the only other thing that I'll, that, I'll, that I'll say about it is that uh, I like the fact that digitally, uh, comics, uh, at least on the Comixology version, uh, Image included uh, a little bit of the back matter that you would have found in the, in the issue itself um, once the, once the uh, issue concluded. In fact, now I'm scrolling through here just to see it again. There is a, there is a girl talk, which is going to be the the letters column uh, for girls, uh, where Jonathan and uh, and Joshua thank the crowd for for you know reading the book and everything. And I, I'm actually going to read just a little portion of it here. Um, and of course, we also want to thank you, the reader. Uh, if our experience with our debut title Ultra has taught us anything, it's that the support and generosity of you folks knows no bounds. With so many great comics out there, we all know how tough it is to take a chance on a new book from a pair of virtual unknowns, no less. Yet you folks look, took the plunge. That's pretty damn awesome. And to those who have enjoyed our previous work, we're having a lot of fun with girls. That's not as creepy as it sounds, I swear. So you can expect to immerse yourself in another story and cast we've completely poured our hearts into. Believe us, folks, you're in for another wild ride from your favorite brothers team. Okay, fourth favorite brothers team. And then I had a preview for the uh, for the second issue there in the uh, right there in June t- two thousand five. Listed right at the end. Hmm. All right, so you want to uh, you want to rate this scene? Yeah, sure. Um, art, I uh, sorry the the cover for the issue. Uh, I I'm I'm, I'm going to give the cover a solid uh, A minus. Um, I think that it's that it's striking enough. And if if I were to have seen this. 
on the on the rack just as a you know as a single issue i probably would have given it a shot just because it's uh, it's it's intriguing enough just seeing the uh you know with the rain effects and the uh, and that uh, you know unknown girl naked there in the rain uh, you know like it's mysterious and it definitely would have gotten caught my intrigue so i give it an a minus there um the art uh even with some, even with uh, some of the stuff that was that was brought up about uh, their their facial expressions uh, that that Gene brought up, um, I, I think one of the things that the Luna Brothers do really well is facial expressions. So even if even if some of them might have looked like fraternal twins, um, I think that uh, the art comes across at least the emotions of the characters and that's something that i appreciate there so i'll I'll, I'll give it a b i've seen better luna art and i think their art actually gets way better as the series goes forward so i'll give that a b story um b minus i'll I'll give it because again i know what go what goes next but this is a lot to put on faith here like it's almost dangling on a on a on a c plus story-wise just because it's very decompressed um, overall, I'll give the issue uh, a, B, a B minus. All right. Uh, cover wise, I mean it's it's a well drawn naked woman in the rain, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and you can never sell that short in and of itself. Right. You got to right. rate this on on the book for itself. <laughs> right. Uh, so I I mean it's it it would get me to at least consider it. So I'll give it a B. Uh, interior art, yeah. I agree that they do have very good facial expressions. Um, I just, I would prefer a few more different facial models. Uh, But, you know, it's, the layouts are good. You get a nice sense of timing, uh, like with the, in, back in the, the grocery store, where she's checking out at three identical panels. You get the uncomfortable silence that's going on there <laughs> yeah so so I, I i agree that you know it's for what it is i it's not my preferred art style but i i agree that they do have uh, good layouts they've got good use of the medium so i'm i'm gonna give it a b minus story this see that i have to judge it just on this because i have no idea what's coming up oh i get it you know, story's a D. It's it, it wouldn't I wouldn't throw it across the room, but it's there's nothing there except Ethan's a moron. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the only thing I'm getting out of this story is the man can't pick up any cues whatsoever, yeah. and then because he's making the wrong decisions, blames it on everybody else that's female. And gets his ass handed to him by the cop. Yep. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I would guess overall I'd give it a C plus. I think that's all right. Good. And now I'm giving you my I, I guess you'd call it a partial review because again I never sat down and read the issue, but I, I think I have enough of a feel for it that I'm still gonna I'm still gonna give an opinion on an issue I didn't even read. I, did, I mean, I did view the cover, so I can definitely rate that. As long as you don't, uh, as long as you don't review Lena Dunham's girls instead, then that's <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. Uh, the, the cover, you know, I while I would never sell short the uh, the appeal of a naked woman in the rain, uh, 
Uh, and I think she's fairly well drawn. But while if I was in the comic shop looking at stuff, this would catch my eye, it would make me linger on it for a moment, I don't know that at two ninety five it would make me purchase it. Because I'm not going to buy it just for the sake... I'm, I'm not buying a two ninety five comic just because it has naked women in it. I need, I need something more. Because uh, you can get pictures of naked women without buying that comic, if that's all you're looking for. Uh, I would probably, I, in order for me to have bought this on the stand, I probably would have had to have read something about it in previews or some sort of advanced thing that co- that made me say, "That sounds interesting. Let me let me get this." Or if you had written, or if you've read read Ultra and were already a fan of them. Yes, if I was a fan of the Luna Brothers already, or if I, like I said, if I if there was something that that made me, you know, some sort of preview or something that that caught my interest. Right. But I don't think just seeing the cover alone would make me purchase it. Uh, so it's it's well drawn, but I don't think it really totally serves its purpose. So to me, it's right on the borderline of C plus to B minus. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where I come in on there. I'm, I'm, since I wouldn't purchase it, I'm going to say C. C uh, I'm going to excuse me, B minus C plus. I'm going to say C plus because okay. I would not have purchased it. Uh, the interior art. I'm working on, again, pages I've seen when I did a search online. Uh, I can't comment on the storytelling or the pacing because I don't have access to the whole issue. But just as a general, I find the Luna Brothers style to be appealing. It does have a little bit of a feel of, you know, there's definitely a thin line going on, but their artwork always has a feel of being a little computerized. I don't know if it's totally the actual artwork itself or if it's the coloring process that they use for it coloring probably yeah but the the final product feels computerized to me to some extent and that's not necessarily a criticism uh it's just more of a description of it i don't mind it so much uh it's it's not my favorite style but it is a style that i find appealing so from what I see of the pictures inside, it looks like it's all well drawn. Uh, I'm going to say a B on the artwork. And story-wise, I'm kind of basing my review on what I read in the synopsis, which goes beyond issue one. I found it to be somewhat intriguing and interesting. If not, a lot is going on, though, unfortunately. So, story-wise, I'm going to say I'm going to go back with the C plus. Uh, I thought it was intriguing. I think it. it kept my interest enough that I'm curious where it would go. I don't know if it kept my interest enough that I would pick up issues of it, though. Uh, so C-plus on that. Overall, I'll give the book uh, a B-minus. Yeah, and I, and I would be curious, uh, Gene, if, if you wind up actually uh, reading more. Uh, I'd be curious what you think about it. Okay, if, if I do, I will let you know. Sounds good. All right, so that's it for this week's episode. I want to thank you, Gene and Ian, for coming on. Gene, are you working on anything right now? Uh, or just guest spots? Just guest spots at the moment and the blog. Uh, that That is a still still a going concern every Thursday. And that would okay, be uh, thehammerstrikes.com if you're interested. <laughs> there you go. And it's it's usually pretty interesting because I know uh, when you you know you post the links to it. I, I, I have to confess, I don't seek it out until I see you post a link and I say, well, let me check that out. <laughs> And I go to an end, but usually it, I enjoy reading it. Yeah, so. well, I, I wouldn't go to the one for this week because it's kind of depressing because it's about my three dead dogs. Uh, well, having lived 
through similar things. <laughs> you know, I, uh, we we do have some similar uh, experiences, and I may yes. seek it out just for that reason because I, I know how it feels. Mm. Uh, Ian, uh, why don't you talk about your show? Sure. Uh, well, you can find me over at comictiming.net. Uh, we uh, we recently put out our first episode in a little bit uh, after uh, some uh, Brent solo uh, BK's bullets action where he goes into some uh, video game stuff with his uh, with his buddy Jim, but uh, one of the, as of this recording our most recent episode uh, we just uh, do a general you know comic book reading catch up um, also also some stuff we uh, we've watched I uh, I recently watched the uh, Teen Titans Judas Contract animated movie. Uh, so I, I get into that a little bit. Uh, plus, we talk some uh, some Marvel and DC news. And uh, chances are, the next episode that we record will be sort of a San Diego Comic Con wrap up, plus a summer movie review wrap up, as we just go over all the various summer movies, superhero or otherwise, that uh, that came out that caught our eye. Um, and uh, for those of you who've never heard of Comic Time before, it's a rotating panel discussion show where uh, me and my co-host Brent Casina uh, just yeah. Uh, talks comics with some uh, guests and usually uh lately our our buddy brandon christopher has been joining in also as a as a mostly semi-regular that you can check out and uh, we've been doing this uh, more than 10 years now because time flies when you're doing stuff on the internet uh com- comictiming.net is where you can find it uh 180 plus episodes of content that uh, you are welcome to check out if you'd like and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good times. Also, uh, you can find me on Twitter over at I am Sci-Fi, I underscore M underscore Sci-Fi, and I'm also on Tumblr as Heha dash DS Nine when I remember that Tumblr exists, <laughs> and I have Instagram, and I have an Instagram also. Uh, also, I am Sci-Fi. So is is Brent actually your co-host, or is the the co-host not co-host? <laughs> I upgraded him to to co-host uh, a couple of years back, uh, most okay. due, due to his insisting. But if you see him in person, if you ever do see him in person, make sure to call him the co-host, not co-host, co-host, because I'm sure he'll love that. <laughs> if nothing else, I'm showing you that I actually listen. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. By being aware you're, of that. Hey, you're a longtime listener and a longtime friend, buddy, and I'm I'm, I'm happy to be on. And, and I'm happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you both for coming on. And uh, everybody listening, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. All right. Awesome. That was fun. (laughs) Yeah, that was good times.